Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. All of us, especially Moses, were watching with bated breath. How is she going to calm down? Good morning, everyone. Good morning, church. Nice to see us all. A special welcome to anyone who is worshiping with us for the first time, or those who are not worshiping with us for the first time, but they're worshiping with us here for the first time. Right? I can see a few faces of people who traveled and have returned. God bless you. And uh, my name is Femi, if, if we are meeting for the first time. And you've come to a uh, to us at a good time because we are, as um, who prayed? Barbara prayed. And we're, we're going back to, we're going back and going forward to, uh, about, towards things, ide- about our identity as a church. Who are we really? And we want to use that recovery of our identity to move us forward um, as we think about what God may have for us in the next couple of years. So last, last week we talked about the fact that we are a gospel-centered church. City Church is a gospel-centered church. It was more like a teaching, and today's zone two, we are looking at what it means to pursue gospel renewal, and it's going to take that same flavor of teaching. But before we go on, um, maybe I should talk about this, um, something about, you know, I like to look back about when I was growing up, and uh, just reflect on things that were happening there. Now, many of us would not know this, but some of us here who are... um, I was about to say as old as I am, but I don't like, I don't think old should be used with me. Uh, but those who are older, you know, I'm not talking about anybody in that side at the back there, not, not talking about them. But you know one of the things that colonialism uh, left for us, you know one of the things colonialism left, one of the legacies, is foreign proverbs that Nigerian children will have no idea understanding. They left us with a lot and I remember when we used to, when they used to tell me these things, in my mind, I always used to respond with certain questions. Let me take you through some of them. Please don't judge me, okay? So they will say something like this. A stitch in time. And I would respond with, why are we trying to save number nine from who and what? Why does number nine need saving? A stitch in time saves nine. Or... No use crying over spilled milk. Uh, No use crying over... Who said I was crying? I mean, first of all, most of the milk that we grew up with was powdered milk, so it wasn't even spilled. You can just pack it up. Evaporated milk, if it falls down, no problem, because you used to use the paper to stick it, and nothing will fall. So who is crying? This is my favorite one. Charity begins at home. Charity begins where? Now, the truth is, I knew a charity down our street. So I used to say, I know charity, and I'm sure she began from her house, not my own. Well, why does it even matter? Charity begins at home. Eh-eh. Now, we thank God for growing up. Amen? Amen. Some of you, I know, you, are, you still don't know what a teaching time saves nine means, but God will deliver you. <laughs> well, thank God for growing up. We start to understand these things. And really, the truth is, charity does begin 
at home. It does. In other words, why try to practice love to those outside when you are very despicable to those that are on the inside? Practice love at home and let that spread out to those who are not in the home. Because if you don't, you are inauthentic and you're a hypocrite. But there's another reason why charity should begin at home. Because if you learn how to love properly at home, to practice charity at home, it gives you a model, it gives you the training to be able to love others outside of your house. Amen. And that's a principle we see everywhere. Even in the Bible, the Bible says that those who become pastors and elders should learn how to manage their household well before they manage the household of the Lord. In other words, charity begins at home. Now, we said that our vision in City Church is to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos. Now, that's outside. But if charity begins at home, whatever we want to see outside must first begin on the inside. Amen. Which is why we are not just pursuing a gospel-centered movement that renews those outside of us. We want to be a gospel-centered church pursuing renewal among us. Is that clear? Because charity begins at home. So how does gospel renewal happen? Well, first of all, you cannot make it happen. Only God can make it happen. But one of the things we can do is to look at the patterns in Scripture of how it happens. And this particular passage helps us with that. Because if we look at verse 9 to 10, what Paul is telling them is, there are ways you guys used to behave. You guys ought to be behaving in this other way in light of your experience with Christ and in light of the thing you are currently experiencing, which is what? Renewal. Look at it. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being what? Renewed. In knowledge, in the, in the, in knowledge and in the image of its creator. They, he was saying to the Colossian Christians, you ought to be living this way in light of what has happened to you before, but in light of what God is doing in your midst. Let there be renewal that is happening here. And I want to say to those who are contemplating joining City Church, to those who are contemplating being more and more part of us, or maybe I'm presenting to those who are still thinking, listen, if you want to be part of this church, you must want and be willing to pursue gospel renewal. And I say that because of what renewal means. Just a quick English definition of it will tell you that it is the resumption or resuming, um, it means to resume something after an interruption or begin doing something again. To resume something after an interruption or what? Begin doing something again. Now, if gospel renewal is something that God does, then that means that something must have interrupted our lives such that the work of God, the gospel work of God, all of a sudden is somewhat paused. Maybe it is sin in our lives. Maybe it is suffering in our lives. Maybe it is busyness in our lives. But my prayer is that after this sermon, whatever has been stopped, whatever interruption in your life, God is going to resume it again. I pray that maybe you've never experienced it before. Maybe your whole life has been lived against the will of God. Then let God begin his new gospel work in your life. Amen? And so, last week we said 
when you receive the gospel, this is what happens to you, that when you believe the gospel, what happens is that you receive a, a, a gospel what? Ah, thank you for those. God bless you. Your seat is at the front in heaven. You receive, uh, you didn't know, see you. You receive a gospel that secures for you an eternal, please don't put it there, that secures for you an eternal gospel so that you can grow in gospel maturity. All right. I gave you almost all the words. And they were being led by people here. And those of you who said that I wasn't around, we have a podcast. It's called The Gospel in Lagos. You could have listened to it. But let's say it again. When you believe the gospel, you receive a that secures for you an eternal and then enables you to grow in All right. So how do we grow in gospel maturity? Practically. Well, that's what gospel renewal helps us to do. One of the ways that we grow in gospel maturity is when we are experiencing individually and in the church, collectively, gospel renewal. So how does it then happen? Well, I want to give you a simple formula. Again, we're back to formula. You know we like formula, formula in this church, right? Yes, all the lawyers here in the house, amen if you like formula. Don't, don't, don't. I know how you are trying to disgrace me here. You will like the formula, amen. They didn't say. You will like the formula, amen. If you say amen, you will receive gospel renewal. In fact, you didn't even say it yourself. But here is the formula about how it happens. How it can happen in church. A very simple formula. And I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say it. Turn to your neighbor and say, gospel renewal, gospel renewal. Equals, equals gospel strategy, gospel strategy. Times, gospel power. times gospel power. Let's say it again. Gospel renewal, gospel renewal. equals gospel strategy times gospel power. Amen. And so that's what I'm going to try to unpack today, right, this morning. I'm not going to promise you that it will be short, but I promise, I hope I promise you that your life will not be the same again. Father, we just pray that at the end of this sermon that you will ignite a fire within us that nothing in hell will be able to extinguish. We pray that you will begin using what you are doing among us to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews those outside of us. Holy Spirit, we ask for you right now. We ask that you come and dwell with us now. And we pray that as the word of God is being amplified, we pray that sinners will be sanctified. We pray that believers will be edified. We pray that Satan will be horrified. That the Father will be magnified and Jesus will be glorified, to which we all say... Amen. And so we've titled this sermon, City Church Pursues Gospel Renewal. And we're going to look at it under these three headings, conceiving renewal, powering renewal, pursuing renewal. All right, we got that. Conceiving renewal, powering renewal, and pursuing renewal. All right, let's start. So in this passage, what Paul does is he gives us a blueprint for how gospel renewal works, particularly within a church. He gives us a blueprint. In other words, we can put it another way. He gives us a strategy for how gospel renewal happens in a church. How does this happen? Well, that same gospel strategy we spoke about, final, last time. I'm not giving you any other formula, but I need to give you one more. All right. How do you have a gospel strategy? Gospel strategy equals gospel thinking 
plus ministry structures. The strategy equals gospel thinking plus ministry structures. So let's talk about thinking. Now, if you remember the definition that we gave about the gospel last week, we said, first of all, the gospel is always about Jesus, so it's not about you. But when you believe it, then you identify with Jesus in a particular way. But we define the gospel this way. We said it is the good news. It is the good news of, that God has made the incarnate servant and the crucified Savior, Jesus the Messiah, what? The resurrected, ascended king, king priest and what? The righteous judge of the world. So we saw different identities for Jesus. But we said if you connect to him by repentance and faith, some of those realities start becoming yours. There's something about unity to Christ by faith. Now, with that definition, let me quickly say something. You can go to many parts of scripture. He takes one part of that definition and he just calls it the gospel. Another writer can take two parts. So for instance, Paul can say, you know what? Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. He just takes the resurrection from the dead. That's resurrection and crucifixion. And he says that's his gospel. In another part, Paul can say, Christ and him crucified. That's all we ever preach to you. He's talking about the crucifixion. In another part, he says, we preach nothing but Jesus what? as Lord. That is my gospel. Are we together? He can take different parts of it or he can combine aspects of it to show you this is the gospel that he preaches. So here in Colossians chapter 1, 1 to 4, what he does is that he mentions quite a number of that of those and he shows us our connection to it by faith. So for instance, in verses, um, verse uh, 3, he says this, for you died. Now, thank God all of you are alive here. Do you understand? But if you are a believer in Christ, you died. Why? Because when you believed in him, his crucifixion, the effect of his crucifixion happened to you. So he died so that you can die to the consequences of an old life. Are we together? Another one he says here in verses 1 and verse 3, in verse 1, he says, you have been raised with Christ. He says, when Christ, who is now your life, appears, you have been what? Raised with Christ. Which one is he pointing to? The resurrection. All right? Then another one in verse... Um, 3, verse, uh, verse 1 again, he says, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So now we're talking about the ascension, the exaltation of God as he's, of Jesus as he is seated on the right hand of God. Remember that. But he says that you should set your heart on those things above. Final one, on his return, verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear then you also shall appear with him in glory. He comes in glory, you will appear with him in glory. Amen. Why he says all of these things is because this is our reality if the gospel is true. Now notice what he then does. It's a magical word. One word. The way he starts. What does he start verse 1 with? What does he start verse 1 with? Since. The word since. Since this has happened. Since this has happened. Now look at how he starts verse 2. Since this has happened, what does he then say? Set your mind. Stop. If the gospel is true and it is real, since that has happened, set your mind. Your mind. In other words, when he says set your mind, reverse set our mind. What do you have? Mind set. He's saying on account of the fact that the gospel is true, 
you should have a new mindset. In fact, what he's saying, if I can bring it even home to a close, he's saying, he's saying, apply gospel thinking in every situation. There is a profound reality that has happened. And he said, that should now affect your thinking. Which is why he says, in verse 10, that renewal happens in knowledge. The gospel of all that has happened with Jesus Christ has happened. Since that has happened, change your mindset. Have a new way of thinking. He's saying, don't just think differently. Now, let us start thinking gospelly. How do we see that? Well, look at how he takes verses. In verse 5 to 9, we didn't read everything there, but in verse 5 to 9, we didn't read everything because there are terrible things that are being said there. And you know we're in church, we don't like talking about terrible things. But I want to see how verse 9 and verse 12 start. Verse 9 and verse 12, how do they start? Same word, or not same word, almost the same word. Verse nine, 5 starts with, therefore. You don't have therefore here. Put to death, therefore. Verse 12, look at verse 12. Therefore, he's saying this, very simple. Verse 5 to 9, he's saying there are certain ways people who the reality of the gospel has not reached to, they behave in a certain way. He says, put that to death. Why? Because of the gospel. You died, so if your thinking is changed, you died, you can put those things to death. He Put the gospel against the reality of vices. In verse 12, he says, Wait, remember, you are the ones who have been raised with Christ. Right? Therefore, now there's a different way you can live. And so he now gives us different virtues. Are we together? He's saying there is a different way people who believe the gospel, who have received the gospel, there is a different way they think there is such a thing as gospel thinking. And gospel thinking isn't just using the gospel for conversion, but rather it is using the gospel for conception. The gospel isn't just there to get us in. As we said, the gospel is not just the ABC of Christianity. The gospel is the what? A to Z of Christianity. It affects our conversion. It brings us into new life. And therefore, it now starts to change our thinking. There was a new person that came to church a number of years ago. And, you know, I wanted to know a little bit about her life. And I asked about family. Her dad died recently. Her mom had died a while before. I noticed she didn't say much about her stepmom. And so I pushed. And I asked her. And if, in effect, I mean, she wouldn't have characterized it this way, but what I saw was she didn't like, she hated her stepmom. And she narrated to me how difficult the stepmom had been to her growing up. She harbored bitterness and unforgiveness towards her. So, She's, in, the midst of, she's in, the, in front of a pastor. What should I tell her? I mean, verse 13 even tells us what to tell her, right? Bear with each other and forgive. That's what we'll say. The right Christian thing to say is to say, forgive your stepmother. Question, why? I'll tell you some reasons why you can give. And some people will say, first of all, you can say, when you forgive her, you are the bigger person. Be the bigger person. You understand? Yeah, you know what? That's true. 
Look at you. I've forgiven you, you're a dear woman. <laughs> We're not on the same level. A second one can be, don't forgive because of her. Forgive because of you. Because if you don't forgive, the bitterness will eat you up. The unforgiveness will eventually make you, you know, it won't allow you to move forward. Don't forgive for her. Don't release her. Release who? Yourself. Now, the truth is, to a large extent, some of those things are true, and some people are motivated by that. But I'm telling you, if somebody has done something that terrible to you, the things she, she said, then it is not enough. And can I also say, yes, because I'm a pastor, it's a bit self-centered. It's not really enough for some people to forgive with that, and it is also self-centered. And you see, the truth is, it is not about them. No, let me turn to your neighbor and say, it is not about them, neither is it about you. It's about us. See, I'm not joking. This is how Olumide was doing. It's not about them. It's not about you. Then you're like, it's about ah. <laughs> Then he looked back at me. Pastor, did you yes. forgive because you will be the better person is about you. Forgive so that you can release her, release yourself, not just it's about you. And for some other people, just allow them be, see how they are suffering. But it's not about them, neither is it about you. It's about us. What do I mean by it's about us? Paul then tells us later, he says, forgive what? As the Lord forgive you. I'm coming somewhere. Yeah, they're like, and I, that's it. Oh, don't worry. It gets deeper. Oh, don't worry. The revelation will come. Don't worry. But as what the Lord forgave you. The as is saying there is a previous example of this. And I want you to Change your mindset so that it is not about that person. It is not about you initially or fundamentally. It is about what has happened as the Lord forgave you. In other words, he says, meditate on how you were forgiven in the Lord. Because if you make it about you and that person alone, you will, complete, you will continue in, a, in a, a, a spiral of unforgiveness, bitterness, and truly it will eat you up. But you as a Christian, like that guy, so I will tell, I often use this, I will use Matthew 20, is it Matthew 18, 21 to 35? The guy, the servant, who was forgiven a massive amount of debt that he could never, ever, ever, ever pay. The king gave him. Then he came out of the king's place, and then he saw somebody that was owing him a small debt, and he threw that one into prison. And so when Jesus tells that, he's illustrating what Paul is saying here. And let me tell you, that forgive as the Lord has forgiven, has forgiven you, it will answer every objection you can have against it. What if she said, but she doesn't deserve it, neither did you. She did me so much wrong, my friend, your debt to God was much more than hers. Unless you are saying that, I offended God, oh, deep, I'm not, you know, God, I but what that person did to me, God is saying, what Jesus is saying in that parable, he's saying your debt before me is what? It's, you cannot pay it, your children cannot pay it, your children's children cannot pay it. That's literally what it was, 20 years of a laborer's wage. And then, you, yes, it is true, but when you compare it, he's not saying that it is not, it's not painful for you, but he says when you compare it with how it, what, uh, it, uh, with, 
with the debt that you owe me, it cannot be compared. But one more, you say, but it is so, you have no idea how painful it is. And I will say, I don't. I don't. But Christ does. And do you know how painful it was for him? He carried a cross for you to forgive you. He's carried your cross to his death for you. Will you not carry your cross to live for him? Forgive what? As the Lord forgive you. Change your mindset. Somebody says, those that are husbands or would, would be husbands, why should I love my wife sacrificially? And because she can poison you if you don't. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm saying, guys, let's be honest. As in, some men are so foolish. You will abuse your wife. You will call out all manner of things. Blah, blah. She now say, honey, dinner is served. And you two, you just go there. Just go open. <laughs> Love your wife, oh. Love your wife. Another way is that she can do what she can. Turn your children against you. That's a useless daddy that is good for nothing. Do you know what your dad's called? Don't forget that he says he's confessed. He used to come 28. Let me show you. Turn your children against you. All of those are valid reasons, but all of those are not godly. You know what Paul says? Husbands, what? Love your wife as. Ah, it's coming up now. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Oh, wow. He says, just as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice he's not talking about it, but he's not talking about how you get saved. He's talking to people who are saved and he's saying, on account of how you got saved, a different mindset. Are you following me? Oh, I think there are some people that need to forgive somebody today. By meditating on the gospel, you need to let some people go today. Because of Christ, not because of how much Godliness you can bring out of you. Change your mindset. Husbands that are here today, you need to now start having your wife have a bit more of a say because you should lay down your life for her for her own good. That's what it's saying. Oh, the gospel tells us that we have to reach the lost. How am I going to reach the lost? By giving them tracts, by just telling them. You see, that's part of the problem. Many of us just want to do evangelism in the same way that other people have done it. You know, this year is a year of invitation. We'll be equipped better. But how should we do it? Why should we do it? Let me tell you why. John 20, verse 21. What does it say? Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. What? Please don't leave me. As the Father has sent me, what? Sending you. How is the incarnation? Jesus, who is God, put on what? Humanity so that he could come and save who? Humanity. And so Paul can say, to those who are under the law, I became as, those, as one under the law. To those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, so that I may save many, or so, so that I may save some. So how do you go and meet people to evangelize to them on their own terms? Because of the incarnation, because of the gospel. I, is, it, is someone's mindset changing? How should I or why should I work, continuously work for a, an uncaring and lazy boss? Good for nothing boss. Somebody wants to say, if I, if I say, can I get a witness up in here? <laughs> Just be careful that your boss is not in this church as well. <laughs> Just say, it will 
fire you in a gospel-centered way. <laughs> How and why? It's not about the boss. It's not about you. Colossians 3 verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. What? Working. For who? And not for human masters. In other words, he's saying there is an exalted king all in the heavens who is the universal boss of all work. Workers unto him. If you have to experience gospel renewal, we must understand the gospel and apply it in our thinking. Amen. Set your minds. But I said it is gospel thinking and structures. I won't spend too much time here on that. But with structures, listen. <laughs> because some people say, I just want to come to church. I just want to be a Christian. I just want the simplicity of the gospel. I just want to worship Jesus. So I just want to talk to Jesus. Once we start putting all these things, serving different structures, all of that, we're just complicating things. We're building systems. We don't need systems. We need spirit. <laughs> Let me tell you, God is a God of structures. You don't believe me. When the earth was formless, it says formless, without the earth was with the world. Was void, uh, was void body, was without form. When the earth was formless, you know what God did? He gave his shape. When he then finally created human beings and their bodies, you know what he gave them? He gave them a skeleton. Structure. When those human beings fell, God gave them a structured plan of redemption. In that structured plan of redemption, there was a nation there structure. They had, it was through a covenant structure, with temple structure, with offices structure. Eventually, when the Messiah came out of that nation, that Messiah had disciples. He structured them, 70, 12, 3. When those disciples now set up the church that we are part of, they put leaders, they put followers, they put all these structures. If you don't like structures, you are not ready for renewal. What our gospel thinking is meant to help us do is to set up structures within the church, but also to work through those structures. That is why we can have a preaching ministry. It's a structure through which the gospel can come out. That is why we can have a kids ministry to say that it is not here that the children who are eight will not be hearing words like propitiation. That is why you have mercy ministries to say, the way Christ has shown us mercy, we should show others mercy as well. If we don't have a structure to support it, we will not be able to apply the gospel thinking that leads to renewal. Are you following me? But hear this. While the structures can change and must change, the gospel thinking behind them was never. You see, if you read back in that verse 17, you will see it talks about singing, it talks about all of those things, and then it says, whatever you do, verse 17, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It must always be towards the gospel thinking. So if you have, for instance, leadership, leadership structures will change in the church. Apart from the fact that you have elders, but all the other ones, we can give this kind of ministry and leadership structure here or there. All of those things. But let me tell you, what must never change in any leadership structure? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We follow the death of Jesus Christ, how he served us. He was the incarnate servant. We would always, in any form of leadership, apply servant leadership there. Are you following me? The structures can and must change 
depending on where you are in the church, but the gospel thinking behind them must never change. Are we following? And so that is our gospel strategy. Now, second point. Power in the gospel, power in renewal. Now, all that I've just said is really true. Absolutely true. It's not enough. It's not enough. And I've been in circles where sometimes this is where we leave it. But it's not enough. Now, I didn't say it is not needed. It is needed, but it's not what? Enough. You see, right thinking, and Paul shows us this in two th- uh, Timothy 3, uh, 2 to 7. Right thinking, right thinking, right, is good. But you can be ever learning and never come to the knowledge of the truth, isn't it? There's some people they like to learn, 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 learn. But that learning that they keep learning, they never apply anything that they learn. They just like to learn. Have you ever met somebody who is 43 and is piling up certifications? Certifications. Moves from one industry to another. Has done Cisco networking, has done ICANN, and has now, is now trying to do his MD. Doctor, accountant, and network administrator. It won't. When you go to the office, you see plaques, everything. They are ever learning. Oh God, what are you going to do with this thing? Are you following me? Right thinking is good, but it's not enough. Right structures, right forms, even personally, your devotions, all of those things, they are good, they are important. Right, the way you dress, all of these things, the way you speak, the, actually, the, the, the decisions you make, the patterns and the habits that you form, they are good, they are good, all those forms are good. But do you know that it's possible to have godly forms and not be godly? What is the thing that is missing? It says there are those who have the form of godliness, but they do not, they deny the power thereof. We need power. We need power. You see, your gospel renewal will not happen if you don't have power multiplied by your what? Gospel strategy. Your gospel strategy is in place. But now we need what? Power. You see, in verse 1, when it says since, we skipped and we went to verse 2. In verse 2, it says set your minds. But before it says set your minds, in verse 1, it says set your hearts. Verse 1. Set your what? Since that you'll be raised to Christ, you should do what? Set your, let your heart be set. And one thing you would know about reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, when it talks about heart, it's not talking about the one that is pumping your blood. The heart is the control center of the entire person. It is the core of your being. It is what affects your thinking. It is what affects your doing. It is what affects your feeling. That's what it means. When it says set your heart, you see, when it says set your mind, it's saying we have to have the right thoughts. But when it says set your heart, it's saying we have to have the right values. The thing that we hold dearest. That's why Jesus says that where your heart is, there shall your treasure be also. Set your heart. He's talking about not just right thinking if we want to have renewal. He's talking about right being. That the renewal cannot just happen with knowledge, but the renewal must happen in our core. That is why when you read verse 10, it doesn't just say renewed in knowledge, But the way the sentence is constructed, it can say renewed in knowledge and renewed in the image of its creator. It's talking about the whole person being transformed because the heart is being transformed. 
I should explain this a little bit more. Let's go theological a little bit. Put up verse 10 again. Um, go to 9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge in the image of its creator. Okay. Now, somebody will say, aren't we all humans created in the image of God already? Why are we still being renewed in that image? Isn't that image perfect? Now, to which I'll say, you are correct. We are all human beings created in the image of God, but there's something else going on here, and it's about the old self and the new self. Now, listen, watch this. That old self, new self is not so much, it's not first and foremost personal. It is about talking about two reference beings that we are either shaped, where we are shaped in. Let me start. The first being is Adam. If you read, in the Bible it says that God created mankind, right, in his image, male and female. But then we now talk about the creation of Adam. How did he create Adam? From the earth, the spirit of life came in, he became a living being. Are we together? If you read the end of Luke chapter 3, the very final verse, I can't remember what it is. It says, after it gives a genealogy, it then says, it gets to Adam, traces Jesus to Adam. Do you know how it ends? It says, Adam, the son of God. So when God created this one in his image, the first one, he was the son. He represented God. He, he imaged God. And what I mean by image God is, you know, you look at the mirror. When you look at the mirror, you see an image of you, right? Uh, Abi? Okay, I'll just check it. I don't know what kind of, of banjo mirror some of you have, all right? So the, the, the mirror images God, but it also reflects Human beings are meant to reflect that God to all of creation. So we, we, we see God can see himself in the human beings, but those human beings are meant to reflect God to the creation. Are we together? As long as that human being realized that God is God and he is not. Of course he didn't realize that. He fell in Genesis chapter 3 because he wanted to worship another kind of God. And so what happened to that image? That image became broken. The image was not lost, but the image became broken. So now that that image is reflected humanity, the image can do what is good, but it's always tinted with some kind of evil. The knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Are we following? So that is the old self. It is a broken image. And if time is left for that old self to continue, the old self will become a no self in hell. In hell, we will lose totally our image to reflect God because we will be totally banished from God. Are we following? So for God to repair that, God had to set up another humanity. And that new humanity is the person of Jesus Christ, his son. So that new humanity then comes and God says, ah, it is not just by reflecting Adam. Now you have to reflect this one. Now look at what Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says. Colossians chapter 1, now another son comes in. He says, the son, let, uh, let priest, is this Colossians 1? Huh? Yes, Colossians 1, 15, yes. The son is the image of what? The invisible God. He is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, he even says, 
Christ is the image of God. Are you following? Christ is the image of God. But then in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 29, and 30, here's what it says. All things work together for those who are the called, uh, who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? Because for you to have a purpose, you are going to a particular place. He then says, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be, to say it together, to be. Stop. Are you getting it? We were conformed to the image of Adam. If you continue down that way, your destiny is totally to lose the image of God. So what God now comes to do is this. To conform you to his, he is the creator, but he gives you another humanity. So that if we are being conformed to the image of the creator, it is like being conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. That is our destiny. Now, here's the point. So what do we do? Let's study Jesus. Study Jesus. What Jesus, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, and be like Jesus and everything will be fine. Amen. Amen. How many of us know Lewis Hamilton? I've heard of the name Lewis Hamilton, right? Okay, forget Lewis Hamilton. Not everybody. How many of us know Whitney Houston? I've heard of Whitney Houston. <laughs> you must have. And if you don't have, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> All right. Whitney Houston, she, can, she, she, she had one talent. She could sing. I, I think last time I checked, she could sing. Now imagine, uh, imagine Fage here. Fage recorded himself singing. And when he recorded himself singing, he told with Houston, I love you, you are my idol, I just want to be like you. Here's a tape of me singing, and he sang it, and she was horrified. She was horrified as naturally any of us would be when Fage is singing. <laughs> but with Houston then says, you know what, but I admire your courage by sending that kind of nonsense to me. I admire it. I want you to be like me. Now come around. And so they, he comes. And then with news, she says, if you want to sing like me, here are the steps. And so she gives, you 30, uh, she gives him 13 steps, blueprints, how to be like with Houston. Fage now follows it. Will Fage's voice be like her own? Why? Because if you just follow the pattern itself, it will not get you there. You need something more. You need ability. If you put Jesus Christ in front of us, and just say, be like Jesus Christ, and you think that is how it will be like Jesus Christ, you don't know what you are, where you are starting from. We are talking about the perfect son of God. It is one thing to put that in front of us, but in another way, we need what? Power. Let me explain to you. When Jesus rose from the dead, because listen, there's the son. The son came in the likeness of Adam. He died, but when he rose from the dead, how did he rise from the dead? What brought him back from the dead? If the spirit that what? Raised Jesus from the dead. So when Jesus came from the dead, he started not, it wasn't just like Adam, he started a whole new humanity. That is why in Colossians 1.18, he's called the firstborn. Many of us have heard that I say he's the firstborn, but Adam was the firstborn. No, Adam was the firstborn of one particular race, of the old humanity. Jesus Christ becomes the firstborn of what? The new humanity. When did the new humanity start? When Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. How did the old humanity start? Clay. Breath of God, like the Spirit of God. He came to life. How does the new humanity start? Somebody is also in the grave. But the Spirit of God raised him from the grave. And then he came out what? In 
power of the Spirit. So how would you be conformed to the image of Christ? Yes, there are things to follow. Put on your gospel thinking. But my friend, we need power. That's why it says in verse 30 of Romans chapter 8, after it says, for those who he, predest those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What does he say after that? He says, for those he predestined, he called. For those he called, he justified. But for those he justified, this is the end. This is what conformity to Christ's image is. He did what? Glorified. He glorified. So we're looking to appear with Christ in glory. But if you then go to 2 Corinthians 3, 3 verse 18, 17 and 18, quickly put it up. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being what? Transformed into his with ever increasing which comes from the Lord who is what? Guys, I cannot lie to you. There is something. We need the Holy Spirit's power. This thing cannot be done. Jesus Christ, it says in Romans chapter 1, he was appointed to be the Son of God in power by, through, uh, uh, through the, the spirit of holiness and by the resurrection of the dead. If we are to be renewed in the image of our creator, it is not just gospel thinking that will get us there. We need the thinking through the structures and the, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Am I speaking to somebody here? Why I'm saying this is because it is possible to have a church, to be a church with so much knowledge and little power. And if that happens, you will not have gospel renewal. Why? Because you can be filled with Christians who have a lot of knowledge and little power. One of the finest expositors, what we call Christ-centered expositors, gospel-centered expositors, when he opens the Bible, I don't care where the passage is, he will show you Jesus Christ. Like when I say he will show you, one of the finest expositors. He's been caught in adultery at least three times. What was happening when he was meditating on those scriptures? What was happening when he was finding the gospel? What was happening when all of those things were there? Do you know what was happening? His thinking was activated. Say it. He lacked what? Power. Just last week, I was talking with a pastor and he was telling me about a Christian that some people in a particular circle, they know. He's one of the oldest people there. This guy loves books, he loves reading, he loves logic, and he loves soliciting other people's wives. When I heard the story, at first I was surprised. Another reason, another point, I was not surprised. Because too much grammar, too much logic, too much all of these things. Talking about always pursuing and persecuting the people who, eh, they don't really re rightly divide the word of truth. It's about this, it's about this pattern. They don't have power from such runaway. You will not get the renewal that we are looking for without the power of God. Paul said that my gospel did not come to you in word, word only, but in what? In power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. There are some of us, and he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. Listen, there are some of us who, I'm sorry to say, but I hope God is going to be delivering some people today. But there are some of us who, there is a sin habit that you cannot just break out from. And let me tell you, counseling, eh, counseling, 
See, first of all, it's not humility if Elijah says he cannot play the piano. You know. You know Elijah. Elijah, stand up, let them see. He doesn't have the beard again. <laughs> sit down, sit down. It's not, by, it's not for too long. If Elijah plays the piano, right, we all know Elijah camp is a master at it. If Elijah now comes and says, I can't play the piano, that's not humility, stupidity, all right? He's, he's losing it now. He's losing it. And let me tell you, let me tell you, I, there are not many things I can do. There are not many things I can do. Counseling, that's one thing I can do. Counseling, I know I can do it. And I have counseled people, tell them the truth, break it, break it down, everything. There is nothing that they will come back and say, you see, you are so right, so right. Approaching 15 years, uh, 16 years in ministry, here's one thing I have learned. Talk, talk is not enough. The same people you will break everything down to. Break everything down to. The next week, they are doing the same thing over again. There's a man of God called Chris Delvan. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Chris Delvan, he sings, he writes. Chris Delvan used to be addicted to smoking. One day, he was reading the, Holy, the scriptures. He saw one verse. The Holy Spirit hit him. That is how we give up smoking. Not the Federal Ministry of Health wants that. He didn't, he didn't, or he didn't go to one kind of addiction program don't get me wrong counseling all of those things matter but there is a point when the holy spirit comes upon somebody and that power breaks every yoke and every chain we need power in this church our strategy will not just be enough for some of us we are lacking joy we are lacking joy in the midst of chaos for some of us, even in the midst of all the teaching, we are lacking the righteousness that God is asking for. For some of us, we are lacking peace because of all the things that we are going through. But Romans 14, 17 tells us this, that the, the kingdom of God is not what? Eating or drinking, but it is what? Righteousness, peace, and what joy? How? In the Holy Spirit. There is a way the Holy Spirit comes into something so that he takes the power of the message of the gospel and he breaks the chains that are in us. You may be saying that, oh, all that thing you just said about forgiveness, I understand, it is true, but I cannot do it. Why? Because it's been so painful. I pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon you now. In the name of Jesus, there is a way he opens up the floodgate and you start finding yourself doing what you thought you cannot do. Why? Because it is not by might, neither by, is it by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord. We need power. Sometimes I'm tired of explaining things. Why didn't this person get healed? Well, you know that sometimes God, you know, the suffering, and he uses suffering to make, yes, 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 all of those things are true. But he also raises the dead. He also heals the sick. You see, when the power comes, two things happen. We see the extraordinary, and we see the supernatural ordinary. When we see the extraordinary, what is that? He shows evidence through what signs and wonders. If you like, spend your time making fun of people who come in and say, the Lord told me this. I think you are this. And you be like, oh, I'm sure that somebody passed it on to him. Oh, I'm sure that it wasn't really true. It wasn't totally accurate. What have you done? I can agree that people are misusing things, but the gift of prophecy is still here today. And if you've ever experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. Where God sends somebody to you where, you, look, he says prophecy is there to edify the church. Sometimes we need to hear that God is really thinking about it. He said, but the Bible says that, yes, but I have to feel it. And so he sends the spirit of prophecy. Oh God, may you give us that spirit once again. Amen. You see, but there are doctors. Why did God give us minds? Listen, I know doctors themselves, they are looking for healing. And it's not through the hospital. There are certain yokes that even medical, they come and they say, oh, we are sorry, we have done all we can 
do. All you need now, even the doctors them say, all you need now is a what? <laughs> Hallelujah. When the Holy Spirit comes, he is in the business of doing miracles. Are you following me? Do not allow your education. Do not allow the things that are all around. Look, if it's education, some of us have it. And now the education has shown us that sometimes we need power outside of us. The Holy Spirit's power is available. And if we are going to experience renewal in this church, our strategies and thinkings are not enough. We need signs and wonders to bring evidence to the message that it is true. Are you following me? Because when you enter certain places, I was, I was talking to um, a pastor recently. We were doing a, a, a training in Renew Academy. And he too used to think about all these things. Are we sure that it's true? Are we sure that it's true? By the time we finished talking about it, he now said, ah. So all of these guys is in Portacot. To talk, remind me what area he was talking about. I think he was talking about one riverine area. He said, eh. So it seems like contextualization, you know, mentioning the gospel in context. It seems that when these people are trying to drive out demons, that's what they were doing. I say exactly, just like Jesus. In Jesus' time was Beelzebub. In the riverine area is Mami Water. And they will not hear the message until what? Power shows forth. Power pass power. Amen. We'll talk about that more next week. But here, inside here, what I'm talking about is that God needs to show us signs and wonders and we need to cry out for him to show us those signs and wonders. Why? Because it provides evidence for those who don't believe. But for those who believe, it strengthens their belief. Are we together? But the power is not just for the extraordinary. It is for the supernatural ordinary. What do I mean by that? Remember, Jesus told his disciples, they wanted, they had learned the blueprint about the gospel. They had learned the blueprint about Jesus' life. In fact, Luke, who writes uh, the book of uh, Luke, writes the book of Acts, and he opens it by telling Theophilus, now, you know I have written to you about everything that Jesus both began to do and to teach, right? And so Jesus had done that. He taught his disciples for 40 days. And he said, oh yeah, now you have to take over the world, but don't go yet. Why? It's not enough. He said in verse, in verse 8 of chapter 1 that what? You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit. That, that power was to be his, their, his witnesses. Yes, there was the signs of wonders. That's on the outside. But you need power for within. We need power for the work of God within us as well. As I said, there are certain things that counseling alone, I'm not saying no counseling, no, please. Don't hear me saying nonsense. Counseling, there are certain things that counseling alone cannot break. For some of us in a particular sinful habit, listen, maybe you are here, porn is your problem. In fact, I get the sense that you were still engaging in porn yesterday night. Porn is your problem. Here's what I'm not here to tell you, that porn is wrong. You know it. Here's what I'm not here to tell you, that you have not prayed about it. You have. And now you're at the point where you just feel like there is nothing I can do. Please, please, in the name of Jesus Christ that rose from the dead, there is still something that can be done. He can give you power in the Holy Spirit. There's some of us here. Actually, the problem is that what you are doing, you knew it was wrong at the beginning, but now your conscience is seared with a hot iron. So when they tell you about what you are doing that is wrong, you're not convicted again. Notice what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, and 6. He said our gospel did not come alone in word, but it came in the Holy Spirit and what? In power, and then he says with what? 
deep conviction. There is a power to deeply convict. I pray that the deadness in your heart and the, st- the searing of hot iron that has come, that the Lord will open it up again and that you will be deeply convicted of your sin to be broken. One of the things I experience in counseling is how people cannot be broken, how people get d- defensive, how people push back and over and over again. And at some point you'll be like, God, I cannot say anything again. Please bring forth power. And then all of a sudden the thing breaks you know, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, he says this. He says about the church in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. He said that they experienced deep encouragement in the Holy Spirit. Encouragement is the inputting of courage. Some people need courage here today. What do I mean? You need courage. You are in a relationship. You know it is wrong. The relationship is not going anywhere. The relationship is not serving you. The other person doesn't care for you in the way they should be. The other person is not godly in the way they should be. Everybody has told you about it. And you seem that even though you know you cannot find yourself to break. In the name of Jesus, I pray that that chain be broken now. The Holy Spirit will give you the deep encouragement, the courage to say no. For some of you, you are in a business relationship that you know you should come out of. Maybe the person is a family member. You say, if I leave, what would they say? You know it is wrong. You know that it is not helping you. But you lack the courage. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If we are going to experience the renewal. Am I talking to somebody here? I should end this way, on on, on this point. You say, I, I hope you don't think... This is not just emotionalism because we're going to call for the Spirit today. You say, how, how, are you sure? Are you just not moving through the motions? <laughs> that question means that you need deliverance, but let me explain. <laughs> you see, when you read Colossians, this Colossians 3, 16, 17 that we're talking about, notice something, put it up. You know what it says? It says, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart, eventually it says that we give thanks to the Father. You know there's a parallel passage just like this. It's in the book of Ephesians. Open to Ephesians 5.19. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another with what? Psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father. Do, do they sound the same? Do they sound the same? So Paul lays out the principle for them in one and in another church, right? In Colossians, go back to Colossians 3.16. What is the thing that is at the center of all of those things? Look at the beginning. Let the message of what? Christ. The message of Christ do what? Dwell. When he says dwell, it should be the center. He's saying the gospel center, the message. He says, oh, family, that's it. After all, didn't Romans 1, uh, 16 say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So I'm just say, just preach the gospel. That's the power that's in there. Just preach the gospel. That's the power. And then he says, let, us, let the message of Christ dwell among you. That's the thing that activates it. Listen, Colossians tells us what should be at the center, but it doesn't tell us what fuels it. When you say the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, it is not just the message itself. It is what is powering the message. Colossians tells us what is at the center, the message of Christ. But guess what? Ephesians tells us what is fueling it. Because before Ephesians 5.19 comes Ephesians 5.18. Somebody opened that for me. He says this. Do not get drunk with what? For that is which leads to debauchery. But instead be what? Is somebody dry here today? The rain of the Spirit is going to make you wet. 
If somebody stagnated here today, listen, by we, when we call upon the name of God through asking for the filling of the Spirit, your stagnation shall lead to acceleration. God is going to do something new in this house today. I can feel it in my bones. Gospel renewals comes when our strategy is empowered by the power of the Spirit. Let me close in this final, uh, with this final um, uh, point, pursuing maturity. Because some are asking, all right, how? How? How do I get this power? Very simple. If we set up all these pianos, they set everything up, do everything, all of those things. Set it up. They set it up, and we say, oh yeah, play. You know nothing will happen until you put the plug inside where? The source. Connect to the source. When you connect to the source, you get the power from the source. Simple. When you connect to the source, you what? We need to connect to the source. Where is the source from? Who is the source? God is the source. We're talking about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God himself, right? God is the source. So how do you connect to the source? I'm going to give you something revolutionary, something deep. Are you prepared for it? Are you prepared for it? You think, you think this is a trick one. It's not a trick one. If we are going to connect, if we are going to get the power by connecting to the source, we need to do three things expressed in two, by two means. Three things expressed by two means. And what are those two means? Very simple. We are going to do it through prayer and through singing. Through prayer and through singing. You say prayer and singing. Okay, prayer seems a little bit, eh, that one, because by definition, prayer is talking to God. Yes, but we are not just talking to God anyhow. We are praying in the Spirit. We are praying in the Spirit. Jude 1, 20, I said, if you, Jude 1, 20 and 21 says, if you are trying to keep yourself until the, Christ, the time that Jesus Christ comes, build yourselves in the most holy faith and do what? Pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6 verse 18 tells us, after you put on the whole armor of God and you stood, what should you do? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So we talk about, say, oh, we're going to have a tongue first. No. He says pray in the Spirit. He doesn't say pray with the Spirit. There are two different things. For those who have the genuine gift of tongues, praying with the Spirit, if you are exercising it, is a subset of praying in the Spirit. But praying in the Spirit is every prayer that accords with what the Spirit wants. So you can pray in the Spirit with your understanding. You can pray in the Spirit without understanding. Are we following? So we need to be empowered by talking to God more. Prayer is going to be, we have, we have done small, good, okay, right? There's city lodge, city church in terms of prayers. The one that's happening here, we are moving up another girl. We are not even playing. Listen. Look, I've wanted to say this a long time, but I'll say it now. It is good. All those who serve here, help us arrange chairs. You know it's very important. The people that put the chairs. The people that set up the stage is really important. All that infrastructure is important. But before every Sunday, I'm going to set up a prayer band. We are going to be having prayers. Some people are going to pray. It's voluntarily. Some people are going to pray here. We need prayer infrastructure in this church. It's not for everybody, but we need God to anoint certain people that will come and say, God, let there be no, no meeting that we will have here that your presence will not come down. We must accelerate prayers. I'm going to announce again. Our weekly prayers is going to start 6.30 or 6 o'clock. I don't know. We are going to charge this atmosphere with prayer so that renewal will be happening. Amen. But it says pray in the spirit. But notice Colossians chapter 3. It is not just prayer in the spirit. But what happens? He says sing, sing songs from the spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. 
And notice how this thing is one another. It's not just personal, but can I say to some of us here, let me tell you, the study of your word is good. It is good. You are getting stuff from it. But for power, for power, with that word, you need to sing a little bit more. We need to sing to the Lord in our hearts. Amen. Because there's something about music. Don't ask me to explain it, my friend. When you are in it, you feel it. There is something about music that takes us and connects us just so straight into the heart of God. Especially if it's a song in the spirit. We need to have our music and our prayer. It needs to ascend to another level. Where are music people? In the name of Jesus, as we have come into this new place, may the Lord pour a fresh anointing upon you guys. Because you are going to be responsible to take us into another place. Can we, for 30 seconds, stretch forth your hand and pray for them. Pray for them. For they are entering into warfare before us. For songs of the Spirit. For songs that will be written. For songs, the ways that they will lead us into the presence of God. For the power of God must come upon us again. For this renewal must happen within us before it goes outside of us. And for those who will become prayer warriors in this house, if there's anybody that wants to voluntarily enter into that place, can you rise up on your feet? Let's ask for a fresh anointing upon them. I'm asking for those who want to engage in intercessory ministry, that want to say, God, let your power come down. Stretch forth your hand to them. For you will be responsible for bringing us more into the presence of God. God is going to come. The Spirit is going to come in the prayers of His people. Oh Lord, pour forth your Spirit fresh upon us in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anoint these ones, oh God, in a special way. Anoint their lips. Anoint their hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. Set them apart for you. Oh Lord, use them as battle axes against the power of darkness. And let them usher us, oh God, into your presence to experience new things in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Take your seats very quickly. We are going to finish because we are going to pray. We are going to pray. Today is an anointing meeting. I told the musicians already, Abby. We are going to pray. But when you do those two things, when you, those two means, there are three things we must do. Three things. I'm going to rush through them because Psalm 100 is going to help us. Psalm 100. What are the three things we must do? Exhortation and celebration leads to petition. Exhortation and celebration leads to what? Petition. Notice Psalm 100. Psalm 100 tells us about the presence of God. Go to verse 3. Oh, no, go back to verse 2. Notice the context. In verse 2 it says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Do what? Come before Him. Go to verse 4. What does it say? Enter into His... It's about, it's about coming into the presence of God. Are you following me? Are you following me? Now, when we enter into the presence of God, let me tell you the first thing we must do. This will deliver some of us here. First of all, stop coming late for worship. First of all, I'm not condemning you. I'm telling you how to get power. But let me tell you why. When we enter into the presence of God, why some of us don't experience the power? Verse 3 tells us. He says, know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. And we are His. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. Ha! Huh. Guess what? Your problems did not make you. Your achievements did not make you. The contract that you are happy about, or the contract that you are unhappy about did not make you. So many times we come into the presence of God, we are coming, we are coming formed by the things that we have achieved or with the things that we don't achieve. So he tells us knowledge. No, no, 
that the one you are coming before the presence of is the king of all things he's the one that made all things he's the one that can start something and he can finish it whose presence are you in he says if you want to get power you see many times we come in powerless and we get we live powerless why because we don't know who it is before whose presence we have come into but once our eyes are open all of a sudden the reality the unreality that is outside is met with reality that is inside we enter into the heavens we see the god that created us we say i will exalt you and we say about all those problems you are just temporary exaltation for who he is but the second one is celebration for who he is to us so notice he says enter into his presence start verse one again verse one shout for joy some people are wondering why we shout oh we are going to shout even more why because of the gladness he has filled our hearts with. Go to verse 4. Enter into his gates. We think, oh, some of those old songs. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. What will we say? We will say, this is the day that the Lord has. I will rejoice now here's another reason why we don't enter power when we say I will just for he has made me glad we don't have any reason we don't come we don't meditate never come into the presence of God only thinking about what you ask for think about how he has protected you think about how he has provided for you think about above all things how he has secured you but above all things how he has secured you in Christ the most deeply inhumane thing to do is to be somebody that is an ingrate an ingrate because when you come before God and you just say, what, is he what am I even thanking him for? What? His mercies are new to you every morning. Count your blessings, name them by one by one. And it surprise you what the Lord has done. Count them, guys, before you come in here. So that when you say, oh Lord, I thank you, there is a reason in my heart. You will see that this God is bigger than everything. You are bigger than what people say. Jehovah, you are bigger than what people say. You are bigger than what people say. Jehovah. Oh, yes. You are bigger than what Jehovah. You are, you are bigger than what people say. Stop. He is good and He is kind. I'm not saying that you have not gone through suffering. I'm not saying that you have not lost someone. But guess what? To those who have lost someone, are you not standing today? It is by the Lord's mercies that we have not been consumed. If 10,000 tongues would not be enough to talk about his goodness. When we enter into his presence with that kind of thanksgiving and you're exalting, do you know what comes to you? The Holy Spirit moves and you are filled with power. Oh, the Lord will bring us back to that place of power. Now, of course, with this. It is only those who genuinely exalt him and those who know how to thank him that are the only ones that can truly ask properly. Listen, there was a stupid king. He just had too much power. Stupid, he's dense in the Bible. His name was Artaxerxes. He liked to throw parties, waste money. One time, one of his queens called Esther, she delighted him so much with a banquet. Delighted him with a banquet. The foolishness of the king, just because he was delighted, you know what he said? He said, 
what is it that you want from me? Even to half of my kingdom, I will give it to you. A stupid king, foolish and he's not even godly. <laughs> if your earthly fathers who are evil know how to give you good gifts, how much more? How much more? How much more? Listen, God is willing to give us the thing he has. So he said, ask of me the nations and I will give you the ends of the earth for your possession. The Lord, the, those who have been genuinely, who have genuinely come into his presence, who now have received power, they can ask of him anything. Are you going to ask this morning? Listen to what he says. Go back to that Psalm 100. I want to finish with this in verse, in verse, uh, uh, verse please rise to your feet. Verse 5. So that we know the abundance that is the heart of God. Read verse 5 together. Let us read it. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout generations. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. To how many generations does his faithfulness extend to? So he never runs out of having the best gifts for his people. One more question. How long does his goodness and his love endure? So he never tires of giving the best gifts to his people. God is not tired. God is in what? Tired. So in Luke 11 verse 13, that passage I just wrote, he says, if then you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven what? To those who are to ask him. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.